The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 117. The average Chinese tourist spends a whopping $1,086 per day while on vacation, excluding accommodations and flights, but including a lot of shopping and a lot of gambling. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and today's episode is part two of my interview with David McMullen and Rob Hillman, who I'm actually sitting with once again in their beautiful, nice one-bedroom apartment here in Chiang Mai. And yesterday, guys, if you missed part one, we discussed everything that was leading up to them taking this kind of round-the-world, open-ended, one-year trip. So everything from what their travel backstory had been, how they traveled 15 years ago, how that spurred them on to always consider a lifestyle of travel, and then how they were actually left real, quote-unquote, real career jobs, why they did it to take this trip and what they kind of see their future being. So, Rob and David, thank you guys so much for joining me again. Good to be here. Glad to be here. I actually just wouldn't leave their apartment yeah. until they recorded part two of this episode. <laughs> guys, one of the reasons we are doing this, and one of the reasons I'm so excited about part one and part two of their interviews, is that during the survey, you can fill this out, extrapackofpeanuts.com slash survey, people said they wanted to hear success stories. They wanted to hear people from different walks of life and why they decided to travel and how they were able to do that. And so yesterday in part one, we kind of talked about the why and we delved into why they wanted to do it and then how they prepared for it. And they gave some really great advice actually in how they spent two years really preparing for this trip. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about how they're actually doing it. And as I mentioned in yesterday's intro, they are travel budgeting geniuses. They put me to shame. So back to the survey. If you want to fill it out, that'd be great. Extrapackofpeanuts.com slash survey. You can do that. We'd really appreciate it. But I'm super excited to get into part two of this EPOP success story. So guys, we ended yesterday's episode on... Basically, you had made the decision that you were going to go on this open-ended, quote-unquote, year-long was was your idea. And you had spent two years saving up money, doing things that most people would think would be hard, like not eating out so much, but you found to actually be easy once you got used to it. And now we're going to talk about the frantic few weeks before you left and then all the stuff that you've done to be able to continue to afford this trip because you really are traveling more and spending less. I will I, I will go back a little bit further than that and throw you a little bit of love. So right about the time we decided to go... Because I had never gotten into frequent flyer miles. We fly so rarely. Like we do these big trips, but we go and then, you know, we, there's years in between. So I'd never paid any attention to frequent flyer miles. So when we were preparing for this trip, I was like, I need to get into this travel hacking thing. Like clearly this is going to be a benefit for us. So I, I went to like one of the 
frequent flyer universities. That was right there in D.C. where we lived. And I found you, Extra Pack of Peanuts, and started following that. So I've been an EPOP listener for quite a long, a reader for quite a long time. I'll pat myself on the back for having the foresight. I was in the very first yeah, frequent, frequent flyer, flyer boot camp. camp. And it was awesome. Like, finally, all this stuff that I kind of had heard about, but really had no idea how to use, started all making sense. And so, that was part of our two years of preparation was opening up a lot of credit cards and getting a lot of miles put away. And then one of the other boot campers posted a link for a, like, mistake fare that we were able to use to get over here. Gave us two weeks in Europe. Yeah, like, that deal was what it ended up being New York to somewhere in Europe you had to fly or Milan. Milan. And then you had to make your way from Prague to somewhere else. And we actually both picked Kuala Lumpur, right? As I or you guys flew. We came into, into Bangkok. Oh, you came into Bangkok. But it was it ended up being a hundred and twenty five dollars a person for a one way ticket or something close to that. Ours was a little bit more because we went earlier. If we'd been willing to delay our trip another month, we could have got the hundred and twenty dollar one. I think ours was like two forty. Yeah. But so mistake fares are, I mean, they're not going to happen all the time to be the perfect place where you want to go. But obviously, we've written a post about mistake fares. I mean, being able to take advantage of something like that. When I told people that I was flying to Kuala Lumpur with a two-week stop in Italy, oh, the horrors for $125, <laughs> they just, you know, you could see their, like, their eyes were just huge and their brain was exploding. Like, how is that possible? But it was an airline mistake fare. So we didn't even... People who are listening, we didn't use miles. It wasn't miles and $125. It was a ticket that was a mistake that we bought outright for $125. And these guys bought the same basic ticket for like $225. Yeah, I'm super excited because now we're here in Thailand and I still have all of my miles just waiting there for me to use. Yeah, and we won't nerd out too much on frequent fire miles, but I think it's important because you made a point, Rob, that... That's the biggest myth is that, well, I don't fly a lot, so I'm not going to use frequent fire miles. What's the point? I've heard about them, but to me, they don't mean anything. That's exactly how I was basically four years ago. I, I knew what they were in theory. Oh, you fly a lot and you then get to fly for free here and there. Well, then we figured out you don't have to fly a lot to be able to fly for free. You can open up credit cards and get miles all these different ways. And now both of us, all of us are lucky enough to be able to fly anywhere around the world for less than $100, which is pretty cool. It's pretty pretty cool. nice. Yes. Yeah. So, and like like me, you guys are great because you nerd out about that kind of stuff. <laughs> I don't, th I think I know you well enough to call you nerds and oh, I'll yes. call myself that. So it's great because then you, it's like a fun game as well. I yes. mean, yes, the end result is I'm traveling for almost free, flying for almost free, but it's also fun the whole process, at least for us. Well, definitely. Like when we went to Central America for six months, like the biggest expenses we had were the plane tickets. Other than that, once you get someplace, it's cheap. I mean, even when we found when we were in Italy, we we're like, oh my gosh, we're going to Italy for a week. It's going to be so expensive. We ate out of a grocery store and you can buy a rotisserie chicken and amazing cheese. And like, like we ate really well and for dollars. I mean, it was not expensive. It's that plane ticket that's getting there. So if you can figure that part out, it's a huge, big battle to win. Yeah, plane tickets and accommodations are the other big one. And if you if you do follow EPOP, you know we we come up with ways to score good accommodations, whether it's house sitting through trusted house sitters. You guys rented an apartment here for a month, which is always a great strategy, kind of staying somewhere longer. You know, this apartment you're able to get for six hundred a month, which I think the daily or the nightly rate is something like 
50 or 60 bucks. So, I mean, you're paying a small fraction of what you would pay if you did it nightly. There's so many ways. And, and we're going to talk about some of them in this podcast. I want to back up a little bit because we forgot to mention in between these episodes that we're recording, you guys were like, oh yeah, we did actually sell all our stuff before we left too, which is a big, a big deal. So let's talk a little bit about that because a lot of people who want to go on these type of trips are thinking, okay, they, they spent two years saving money and, and cutting things out. But then right before you're ready to go, you did some other things yeah, too. What do you do with all your stuff is a huge question for people. And we decided we just wanted to simplify, completely get rid of everything we had, all of our furniture. We gave up the apartment. We sold most everything on Craigslist. Craigslist is pretty amazing. Craigslist is awesome. Yeah. For both buyers and sellers. For both buyers and sellers, yes. And you can sell absolutely anything on Craigslist and people will buy it. If you put it there, people will buy it. Yeah. I had a buddy, quick aside, this is one of the funniest Craigslist stories I've heard. Uh, There's a ton of better than this, but there's someone I know personally. And he was getting rid of a couch and he just, he lives near a college town. He said, here's a couch. First person who brings a case of plaps through ribbon gets it. So he has like, you know, within, I think five minutes, someone showed up at his door, you know, a college kid, case of Paps is saying, here you go, took the couch away. There it is. Now, Paps wasn't going to do you guys any good because, uh, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't translate into Thai bot very well, but. Right. We knew we had, we were living in DC. We knew we had to drive our car, we, which we did want to keep the car because I love my little Toyota Matrix. Um, but we were going to take that to my parents who were going to use the car while we were gone. So we were like, whatever we can fit in the car to drive from DC to Vegas, we'll keep. So like our taxes and photo albums, like there's some stuff like that you want to keep, but we limited it to what we could fit in the car and everything else we just got rid of. That is an awesome strategy. Whatever fits in this car, we're keeping and nothing else. Yeah. And there's a few things that you have to keep. You can't get rid of absolutely everything. There's, you know, family items that we wanted to keep. Um, so I think when, once we sold everything, we made about $3,000 and we kept that completely separate from our travel fund and we kind of put that away. So when we go home, we've got three grand to help us buy furniture again. Yeah. And a side to this kind of a side benefit is that because you don't have a home and we've all sat here and discussed it, me and Heather and you guys, you know, we always want to buy stuff when we're traveling. So there's, there's two good things about traveling long term and not having really a home when you get home is you just, you can't fit everything in your backpack and you know, it's going to break over like the nine months that you're on this trip. And the other part is that. You know, we do pick up knickknacks and things here for our future home eventually. We've even bought stuff for like our future kids to put in their little, like, you know, in <laughs> yeah. the nursery. Like we've done stuff like that, but it limits how much you spend when you're away because you kind of just realize that it is about the memories. And yes, you want to have tangible things here and there, but you're not buying so huge things when you're in Thailand because you realize, well, when I get home, I have nowhere to put it. Plus, it's not going to. I'm not going to lug this around for nine yeah. months. And another big thing we considered was just the price of storage. And we didn't want to rent a huge storage locker to put everything in. We did a whole cost-benefit analysis, if you want to be I told fancy. you guys these guys were nerds. Um, but like we we researched storage places and saw how much they were going to cost. And the one for the size, if we kept everything, it was like 200 bucks a month. And like, if we're gone a year, that's $2,400. How much furniture brand new could we buy for $2,400 rather than just paying a rental fee? Because we we did that on our other trip as we put stuff in storage. And it was this 
great little place and we came home and there was like water damage on some of the stuff and i mean nothing that bad but like it's not perfect you just realize i think when you actually sit down and look at it that it's probably not worth it or, or maybe not worth it especially to keep everything there like you said there's going to be stuff you can keep and maybe you can put that away with friends or family you know boxes That's of stuff exactly what we did we had you know things stored underneath his parents bed and you know <laughs> wherever they fit <laughs> yeah all right well so you guys got the ticket cheap we've talked about that that's a huge score and again frequent fire miles are key Airline mistake fares are key. If they come up, those are great. But the frequent fire miles are great because you can basically use them to fit your own schedule. So we've talked about that. But you really are, to me, at like role model slash inspiration for this budgeting for your trip. Because Heather and I have mentioned on our podcast, we have a rough budget. And, and we write down everything we spend, which I think is really important because you're at least cognizant of where it's going. But you guys are good at budging and you knew that you wanted to stay away for at least a year and you had X amount of money to do it because you weren't going to work on this trip, at least in the beginning. Now, if you find something and you start working online, you know, and your businesses take off, that's there. But your goal was we're going to travel for a year. And so we're going to save up all the money ahead of time, which you guys talked about in part one. So give me some of, you know, what is your budget per day and how do you stick to it? What are ways you cut corners? Because you do a lot of things that are really, I, I want to say common sense, but so many travelers don't do, or people who don't travel a lot. Just think, don't even think of it. I think the first thing to do is just exactly what you said write down what you spend. We've got a little notebook and every day we add up everything we spent on that day. We've got a rough budget of $50 a day with, you know, more places like Singapore and, where and that is your, it's just more expensive. That was your budget when you decided we're going to save X amount of dollars. We want to go for a year. Your budget was set at 50. So we could really yes. call this podcast. Maybe we'll like how to, how to travel for $50 a day. Yes. Which is very easy to do, well, especially in places like Asia. But the the thing to do then is we've got our budget, we write down everything we spent, and then importantly, we've got a tally at the end and we say, were we over or under this day? And then we've got a running tally from the entire trip. So right now, I think we've been out how many, we left in September, it's now November. So like three months, I think. Almost exactly three months we've been out. And I think we are currently like 11,000 baht over budget. Okay. So which, that's about $300. A yeah. A little, a little more than over that. $300. And that's, I mean, from the very beginning of the trip, that's including a whole bunch of plane tickets that we've bought to travel around because we've been in a couple of countries. That includes like days where we went scuba diving or, you know, did some of the little activities and trips that we want to do because we're doing everything we, we want to do, but we're just trying to make sure we keep in mind always, you know, is today, do I want to go splurge and go have a fancy dinner or, well, I'm a little bit over budget, so we won't, we'll save the splurge for a couple days later until we can, we're very good at having days where like, we're going to spend no money today, so we're $30 under budget, and then, you know, that'll help us down the road. It's kind of neat, right? When you, when you do pick a day, I mean, there's days where Heather and I sit in our room and get work done or just hang out by the pool or wherever we are. And you think that's cool because I spent, you know, $20 on our room for the night and we went out and got, you know, really easy street food for about five to $6. So basically you're saying 
I, I was under $25 because you have to make up the ground some places because if you do scuba diving, you know, a lot of people think $50 a day, I'm going to, so I'm going to spend $50 that day. Well, then you're you gonna, can't do anything if you do it that way. Yes. Right. And you're not where do those plane tickets that don't really fall under a daily budget fit in. So you guys are doing $50 a day. Everything's included. So there's days where you're well under. Yes. Days were way over. Days were way under. So... What are some of the things that you've been able to do? Because $300 for three months, including scuba diving, which is a big chunk, including plane tickets that you hadn't bought beforehand or anything like that. What are some of the ways that you save that you're able to keep this budget? Yeah, It makes a difference when you're slow traveling as opposed to running all the time because travel, even on the ground, can really add up in the budget. So we choose times like this in Chiang Mai where we sit down for a month and we really pay attention to those numbers. I mean, we did have a few like credit cards that we'd opened that we had travel credits and stuff. So that helped with a couple of the plane tickets. It's just being aware. I mean, I, I don't think there's any like magic trick. It's just setting your priority and then keeping yourself accountable for what you're spending your money on. I, most people who spend money do not pay attention. They get used to splurging. And so the splurge becomes the habit. And that's what they do every day. Well, of course, I'm going to go out to a nice restaurant. And of course, I'm going to have a bottle of wine because that's what I do. But then once you're doing that, like if that's your baseline, you're going to need a lot more than $50 a day. And and I will say this trip is probably a lot harder for us to save the money. <laughs> Actually, we're not necessarily getting better at it over the years. Our trip in Central America, we had no problem staying within our budget. If we were over, we would truly not eat that day to, to keep within our budget. Here, we're getting older. We want to travel with a little more comfort. And so we we know that for our yearly budget we had extra money. So we can go over our yearly budget and still be okay. So we planned to not always keep within our budget. Well, we have that flexibility, but we're trying not to. I we're mean, like, we're only 300 to. over after three months. So we're doing pretty good. I'll be like, we've got that there in case a big scuba diving trip or we're kind of looking at that cave in Vietnam that looks pretty awesome. So we, we could do something big like that, but we're doing pretty good at keeping under. Yes. I think that's an important part of it too. Something that Heather and I mentioned in the podcast where we talked about finding the travel sweet spot and how for us, we did a, our first trip four years ago as well. So similar type paths, you know, four years ago, I was just so strict about if it's the cheapest, it's the best. Like I'm a backpacker. We didn't even have like a $50 a night budget. It was just, hey, this place is $3. We're staying here. Like we're going to save money every single place we can. And, you know, I realized that didn't work after Heather did, but I still realized it fairly quickly. And I do think that there has to be some of that in there. Like you want, what I guess what I'm trying to say is like the budget is very, very important. All of us are very budget conscious that are, that are talking here. We have, we write everything down. I think that you want to be very cognizant, but you, it's also important to not say, you know what? I'm not going to go into the Taj Mahal today. And I've heard people say, you know, it's like a $15 entrance fee. I'm not going to go in the Taj Mahal because I just think it's too expensive. And Okay. Like everyone's prerogative is fine. But for me, if I'm making my way all the way to Agra, India, which I hated Agra itself, I'm going to see the Taj Mahal 
because why else am I there? And we, 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 you know, travel isn't always about seeing the big things and there are places you want to cut corners. And I think it is a slippery slope. Well, I'm at the Great Barrier. So I am going to spend $700 to go diving. Well, but I, I think you guys are right. You have to give yourself yeah. some leeway. There's a huge balance there because I don't need to do everything. I want to do everything. And, and if it's something I really want to do, if it's on my big list, we're going to do it. We're going to find some way to make that work and, and uh, make something else not work so that it'll all come together. Yeah. I mean, case in point, we have sat here for the last couple nights and we, well, actually for the last couple of weeks, I shouldn't make it sound like it's only been nights. It's been weeks. And we've all talked about, hey, we should maybe go to Burma. You know, we're up in Chiang Mai. We're very close to Burma. It's open up to tourists. It's kind of, you know, it's much less touristed than Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, where we are. And we've all decided, at least for this part, that we weren't going to go because tickets, you know, it was like a hundred and some dollars to get up there, which isn't a lot. But then it's expensive to get around Burma, more expensive because there isn't that well-worn tourist trail. And I think that we all decided, all right, we're not going to do it right away. But one of the things that I come back to is I say, you know what, if in a month I'm still feeling that pull, which let's be honest, we probably will be, then it might be time to go. You know, like don't, maybe not the instant gratification of going right away, but if if it's still something you want to do over time, then maybe you say, you know, this is worth it. Yeah, there's no right or wrong way to travel. And once you're over here, you've got so many options. It's not like, oh, if I don't go see, you know, the elephant sanctuary Mm -hmm. this time that we're in Chiang Mai, the world is going to end. No, we didn't do it this time because it was a big expense that we just kind of, we want to get under budget again before we start doing stuff like that. But we're going to come back to Chiang Mai, Thailand. It's awesome here. I do want to go to Burma and like the Philippines and Laos and Malaysia, Borneo, and like the list goes on. So there's, there's no wrong answer, right? It's just figuring out how you're feeling in the moment. We've definitely, as we've gotten older, changed how we travel. We spend a lot more money on accommodation than we used to. And that's okay. You know, we, there was the times when I was getting those $3 a night guest rooms and I stayed in some pretty nice places for $3, you know, back in 2001. Now things are more expensive, but I also just have more demanding tastes where I want to be comfortable and that's okay too. So yeah, there's no wrong way. You just have to figure out what works for you because what works for me might not work for someone else and that's okay. Yeah. And you've mentioned slow travel is definitely one way to really help stick to a budget because even if you are taking the buses all around Southeast Asia, I mean, it's going to cost a lot of time. It's also going to cost money. And it might be only $10 or $30 between Chiang Mai and Bangkok, but it's still $30. And then, you know, if you're doing that every four days, that's going to add up pretty quick. Travis and Heather have been very expensive friends on our budget here. <laughs> um, I told you guys they were better than me. I told you. But even even so, I mean, we've gone, I mean, we've done a lot of like awesome cow soy lunches that are, you know, $1 a plate that are amazing. That's probably my favorite food in Chiang Mai, actually. We went out to waterfalls that ended up being, what, $30 to rent a song tower, a red pickup truck to take us up to waterfalls. But there's six of us, which is like $5. So there's, plenty of things to do that are 
cheap, cheap. right? Yeah. But even the days when we've been like, okay, we're going for Western food. I want a hamburger and I want the biggest, juiciest, delicious hamburger I can find with French fries. And even those days, we've still been under budget. We've gotten really close a couple of times, but we've been under budget because you just pay attention. Yeah. What are some other, I mean, you guys have been on the road four months now. What could you say, I guess, as a general rule of thumb, you know, has been an expense that was maybe more expensive than you thought before this trip? And what have been some things that you thought, hey, we're doing pretty good at this. Like we we might have thought this would cost more, but we're actually finding that we're doing well on this on this facet of travel. I have been, and this is my own fault, the plane tickets have been a little more expensive than I thought they were going to be. A lot of the you know, little flying to Indonesia or whatever. Because before we left, I was researching it, and you get on AirAsia, and you're looking six months into the future, and things are super, super cheap. And then when you get on AirAsia and are looking for next week, they're not quite so cheap anymore. They're still cheap. I don't think we've paid more than $100 on any of our flights. Um, but they're not, you know, $17 right. cheap, which right. is what I was seeing beforehand. So that ended up being more expensive. Yeah, I think that's our, where we lose money the most is through indecision and waiting to the last minute. If sometimes, often if we would just make the decision and stick with it, we would be okay. Okay, so I'm rephrasing that to say (laughs) that we are maximizing our flexibility and we kind of pay for that flexibility because rather than having, because we did have tickets from Phuket down to Jakarta and we were in Phuket and realized we were there at the same time as the vegetarian festival. And at first we were like, oh, vegetarian festival, there'd be lots of good food. No, it's a very different kind of festival than that. You can check out Rob's website uh, at 10degreeswarmer.com. If you are brave, if you are brave, read that post and look at the pictures because they're pretty horrible and awesome. But we realized that our plane ticket was right in the middle of the festival. So we paid, I don't even remember, it was like 70 bucks, I think, for the change fee. And we delayed our flight for another week so that we could go to the festival and... Like that kind of was that realization that we don't want to be buying plane tickets a long time ahead of time because if stuff like that comes up, I want to be able to do it. So we have been buying our plane tickets pretty late in the in the process. Yeah, the indecision thing that, as we've mentioned too, is a balancing act, and I think only one that you can kind you have to take by a case by case. Because for example, we came to Chiang Mai thinking we were going to leave after a week, week and a half. And so we stayed at this place that's not as nice as the place you guys are staying. And we're paying more because we're paying a daily rate, even though we negotiate them down, we're paying like $24 a night. Well, you know, so all said and done, we're going to be here basically a month. And if we had got a monthly rental somewhere, we would have had a much nicer place and we probably would have saved ourselves about $150. But we didn't know. I mean, we had no idea. We didn't know up until like yesterday when we were going to leave here anyway. So you know, you do pay for that a little bit, but in the long run, it's been great because I actually thought, well, if we had left the 17th, like I was looking back to all the things that we have done since when we were supposed to leave and it's been great. So as you like to say, Rob, you know, there's no wrong decision. Some might cost you a little more, but in the end, it might be worth it to have that flexibility. Definitely. I I like the flexibility. So you mentioned Phuket. I want to touch on Phuket specifically because a lot of people hear Phuket and they think, all right, isn't that the really expensive resorty island in Thailand that everyone goes to? And the answer is, well, 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, it can be, yes. yes, it can be. And it is the one that most people know when they think of Thai islands because it's the big one and it has all the research. What did you guys find with Phuket specifically to be able to stay under budget? Because that, when you told me you guys came from Phuket, I thought, oh man, that doesn't seem like their type of place because it is, you can spend a lot of money there. Well, one thing that is important to look at when you're traveling to is, especially over here, is high season and low season and shoulder season. There's different prices that can be, I mean, drastically different. Hotel prices can more than double in the high season. And so one thing, look around traveling. You don't always want to go in the low season because that's not the nicest time to be in places, but hit the shoulder seasons if you can. Yeah. And even over here, even the low seasons are pretty nice, pretty much everywhere. And if you can try to follow those as we did in Phuket, we got great prices on hotels. Everything was cheap. Even the really nice places were pretty cheap at that time. It was supposed to be rainy season, and we had rain. We were there two weeks and had rain one afternoon. So that was the big, horrible rainy season that we experienced, and everything was cheap. Now, that said, I would probably not recommend most, like, traveler travelers go to Phuket. I didn't really see what the big deal was, Um, but I liked it. We had a lovely hotel with a great pool. And And how much did that hotel run a night, roughly, if you remember? We, I mean, we like upgraded our room and had breakfast included. And I want to say we were spending 23 or $24 a night. Wow. So how, okay, let's talk about accommodations a little bit because you've now been, you know, it's three months on the road. What are some of the things you've used to get accommodations? Yeah, the world has changed since I first started traveling in 2001 where all I had was my lonely planet and I'd get off the bus and find a tout and he would follow me, you know, take me someplace. TripAdvisor is awesome. All of the big booking stuff. I've, we've used Agoda. We've used Booking.com. We've used Hotels.com. Like, they all work pretty the same. And you can find really good deals. And surprisingly, I really expected, like, I thought we would be able to go to those kind of sites and get a baseline price. And then if, if you go to the hotel directly, I thought they would give me a better price. And that has not really been the case. Um, most times I get a better deal by booking it online ahead of time, which Yeah, we've even had me. people tell us here at the place that you guys are staying at, right around the road from us, we came to try to book here, and the price that they gave me was much more expensive than online. And I said, well, can you give me a better price than online? And they just, for whatever reason, I don't know, they didn't give me a reason. They just said, no, like, this is the lowest we were allowed to give. But I would suggest you book it online because it's cheaper. And I thought, well, this is seems very backwards to me. I, yeah, it's kind of weird. Although it, it does go back and forth. I will say our hotel that we stayed in Phuket, I emailed them because I had some questions. I wanted to make sure we could get internet and stuff. So I emailed them directly and asked them a couple questions. And they did say, if you book through us directly, we'll give you... I think they added on breakfast for free or something because we booked through them and not through the site. So sometimes it probably works. It probably just depends on who you talk to. And if it's just the front desk kid, they probably don't have a lot of um, say over it. But if you can get through to somebody else. And I think it comes down to just options, right? Like it, it, there's no harm in emailing them, asking them for their best price. There's no harm in calling them, asking them for their best price. The, the worst they can say is, no, we're not going to honor the same prices online. And the best they're going to say is, yeah, of course, we'll give you a deal. And then you can talk to them too about long-term stays. If we've already mentioned this, hey, we're going to stay a week. Could you give us 
we'll pay six nights. Can we get the seventh free or, you know, give us a 10% discount, whatever. There's all types of, in Southeast Asia, you can always try to negotiate and you can usually succeed. And if you can't, again, what's the big deal? Then you book on a go to for $23 a night. Yeah. You always ask. I mean, and even if you don't want to negotiate like really hard and get in there with them, you just say, oh, is this the best price? Yeah, you don't have to And be then a don't jerk say anything. <laughs> just smile. And usually they'll be like, um, I think over when we were staying at the other place here, we we went down and talked to her and we're trying to get the room right because we're going to stay another week. And she kind of gave us a price. And I said, okay. And we kind of just walked away. And the next morning we came back down. She's like, okay, we thought about it. And they cut off like another 100 baht off of the price. Just because I didn't say anything and commit one way or the other, it made them nervous and she dropped her price again. So I was like, great. I like that. Put the ball in their court, right? Like exactly. put the, not the pressure, but yeah, make them feel it a little bit. And again, it's really good natured, especially here in Thailand. So it's oh, not fantastic it's into the, into the culture. Uh, th- this idea of negotiating. Yeah, and then we were lucky enough, they just happened to move us to a better room after that. So, <laughs> it was all lucky. So, you guys, so $50 a day, you've been able to do it. You've saved, I, I mean, you've kind of told us how you did accommodations, flights, use frequent fire miles, some, or get mistake fares, but for these inner Asia flights, at least, you know, Air Asia's, we've already talked about budget airlines in another podcast. You guys are huge fans of them. We did just hear last night, there is a possible Air Asia pass coming out. We don't know many details, but January 2015, there's supposed to be a monthly pass for yeah, $149. We are keeping our fingers crossed for something good. Yeah. yeah. So if you guys are listening, I mean, we'll be putting out information about that as we hear it, but it could be, it could really turn things on its head. That yeah, would it be, could change our trip completely. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, it's yeah. not so bad to go to Burma, right? Because you're, yeah. So then what is the overall plan? Because you've been three months on the road. You're here in Southeast Asia. Originally, the trip was just supposed to be Central and South America. What is kind of your guys' plan? Because the trip is open-ended. You knew you wanted to go for a year and you would save for a year. So where is this, where is this leading? We want to stay here in Asia for a while. We want to see some places that we haven't been before. Some of the possibilities are Philippines, Burma, Laos. So, so specific places we don't know. It could be anywhere. We're both working on trying to find ways to become location independent so that we can continue to do, continue this. To do this. So a lot of our time now is being spent finding places we can sit down and be comfortable and work on projects to continue doing this. It's really open-ended, like, and I like it that way. Like, we just, last week, we were talking about going to Burma, and then I found a $50 plane ticket from Chiang Mai to Taipei. So, I got it because it was $50, and so now we're going to Taipei probably for the holidays. I like having that kind of flexibility to follow the good deal and whatever I want to do in that moment. I have no idea where we will be in three months. We have some friends who are coming to visit us in February here in Asia. So we know we have to be here through that. But after that, like, there's a lot of pl- – like, I could easily spend an entire year in Asia. But if we decide – like, there's some conferences and stuff that we've looked at it going to back home. We might – I mean, we could fly back to the States 
go to a conference and then hightail it down to Ecuador or yeah. Colombia. Use miles to get back to the States and it would be cheap or find a mistake fare. I mean, yeah, there's lots n- of options. Yeah. Especially I mean, when you're flexible, using miles when you're flexible, you know, uh, both in dates and in, well, we can fly out of anywhere in Asia because we can get there very cheap and we can almost, we could fly in a different place in New York and then get around ourselves. Exactly. Yeah, there's lots of options and it's really a comforting place. I like sometimes because I like to plan, I like to have kind of an idea. And right now, I have no idea what's happening <laughs> in my life, but I'm finding it strangely very zen where it's just sort of, I'm enjoying this ride. I don't know exactly where it's going. I've got a lot of good ideas of where I want it to go, but there's so many good possibilities that I'm not stressing out about knowing the details. Yeah. And one of the things that I love about doing these success story podcasts is everyone has their different story and everyone comes from a different place and has different goals and is doing something different at that time. But the thread that weaves itself into all these stories is basically, A, people are making travel a priority. And when you make it a priority, it's amazing how many things fall into place to allow you to do it. It's not always easy. As you mentioned in part one, you talked about the hard work to save the money and things like that. But when you make it a priority, you realize that it is possible. And the second part is that I think people who come on when you travel more and when you're here and you are feeling this relaxed, you realize that a lot of the things you worried about, not that they're not important, but that you can take a step. It really allows you to take a step back. And a lot of people from the environment that we come from in the States say, you know, it's, it's very cut and dry. Like, I have my job, so I'm going to stay in my job. How could you guys possibly leave your job? That's incredible. Like, what a huge decision. But now you're here and you're saying like, you know what? We don't know what's going to happen, but we know if we had to, let's say tomorrow you ran out of money for whatever reason, you know, you could go back to the States and you would get a job and everything would be okay. It's not going to be awful. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. They think their life events have to be the beginning of something brand new, spectacular, and it has to work out. But you realize that in the process of it either working out or not working out, what you want actually changes. Yeah. Failure is not a terrible thing. I mean, even like when we were in Vegas, and I love to say how much I hated my job there because it sounds romantic. I didn't hate it. I had great coworkers. I was in a beautiful hospital. Like it was fine. It just wasn't what I really wanted. Like it wasn't the perfect fit. And so I had that flexibility to look for something different. Here, like like I said, I don't know exactly where I'm going to go, but I know things will work out somehow. I could get a job in Singapore or in Australia. I could be a nurse anywhere that speaks English, basically. So there's, and that's on purpose because I chose that career partly for that reason. So I would have flexibility. You know, I think in America, we tend to, like you said, we get trapped into our little world of a job that we just kind of got and we sort of want it, but we don't really know where we're headed with it. And we just sort of feel people feel trapped. And I think once you kind of open your mind up and realize you're not as trapped, you have a lot more control. There's a lot more things you can do. It is so freeing and exhilarating once you just take that little baby step. I mean, what's the allegory of the cave, the Aristotle, you know, where people are stuck in the cave and they see shadows on the wall and they think that's real life. 
until they walk out of the cave and realize, oh my gosh, there's a whole new world out here. But the people that are still in the cave are like, no, that, I don't, you know, this is real life. This is all I can get out of the cave, people. It's awesome out here. <laughs> Unless you're in one of those awesome caves, like in a boat and they're taking you through like well, these yes, awesome those, things. If you're yeah. choosing the cave, right. if you like see out there and you're like, oh, it looks wet and it looks uncomfortable sometimes. I'm just going to stay here in my cave. That's totally fine. If you're choosing what you want, it's like that choice. Whatever you choose is fine as long as you're choosing it and not just doing it because you're afraid to do something different. I think the point that you made is so great because it's not really about breaking out of the box and then succeeding. The success is breaking out of the box. Whether you then like that come back in the box because you choose, oh, we went away for a year and we had a great time traveling and we tried to do some stuff to become location independent, but we realized we didn't like doing that, or for whatever reason, we wanted to be home in D.C. instead, then you're choosing to get back in. So it's not like the success lies outside of it. It's it's that you do step out, and then you have a much clearer vision of what's actually inside and whether you want it or not. Yeah, the first time we left D.C., we had no intention of coming back. And, you know, we could have considered it failure to return, but we loved those jobs so much it didn't really matter. It was just another option. And... Give yourself lots of options and you're going to be happy. And I think just for us, we like change too. We've changed careers several times. And so every time we get an opportunity to try something new, it's scary, but it's fun. It's fun to have something you don't know about yeah. coming up. Yeah. And the success stories are about getting people on who are traveling. I mean, that's how we're here. That's how other people we've done it. And, you know, everyone is traveling, but it is a little more than that, too. It's not just, hey, where are you going and what do you like and how are you spending your money and how are you budgeting? That's part of it, the logistical part. But it's also about why did you decide to do it when everyone else basically didn't? And I think that that's a question that having people on to answer that's what really is so unique to me because everyone has a different reason for doing it. Some people leave jobs they don't like. Some people leave jobs they do like. Some people don't leave jobs at all. But it's just the idea that everyone's kind of shooting towards the same goal, and that is figuring out what they want and realizing that it's probably going to be much different than what they thought when they started the journey because that's, that's the point of the journey, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think so, yeah. I mean, after did you come into a lot of money – you know, the, the next question is generally, you know, how, you know, how is your world changing like this and mine is not, you know, and you just, you just let it, I think. Yeah, you're just open to it. So guys, I really appreciate you guys coming on for part two now and sharing all kind of, as I've already said, these guys are budgeting geniuses. Me and Heather look frivolous <laughs> compared to, we throw our $1 away at the market on those rice cakes and, and fruit shakes. And I just really appreciate you guys coming on for part one to share how you, why you decided to kind of do this. And then part two, how you're doing it. Because man, there's a wealth of information that I've been able to take from you guys over the last three weeks, just sitting here talking. It's, it's really cool to share it with other people and other travelers and kind of get in, pick each other's brains. Travelers are awesome. I, I think that's a big reason why we like hanging out with travelers. It's not just because of the travel stories, which we enjoy because that's what we like, but people who travel, they've opened themselves up and they're asking those questions we find interesting and whatever way they decide to answer, it's fun. 
Yeah. So remind people, guys, how they can come find you because even just today you told us about a post that you made about the best and worst place in Bali. So if people are interested in finding out more about your travels and some of the tips and tricks you guys use to travel cheap and just seeing some cool photographs like the vegetarian festival in Phuket, which isn't all about vegetarian food. How can <laughs> they come find you and connect with you? Uh, so my website is called 10degreeswarmer.com. Um, I started it a year ago as kind of like the prelude into figuring out what I want to do with the rest of my life. Um, but for now, it's mostly just the travel adventures and everything we've been doing in a lot of pictures. So it's kind of fun. 10degreeswarmer.com. Awesome. And guys, if you want to check out part one of this podcast, if you haven't listened to the first part, definitely go do that. You can get that extra pack of peanuts.com slash pods, as well as any of the show notes for part one or part two. Of course, they're also on iTunes or Stitcher or however you listen to it. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, I wanted to have you guys on anyway. But when I kept getting those emails in, like you have a new survey response and I check it and people said, let us hear from real people doing real things, which I guess I take as a compliment. Maybe I'm just immortal or, or not a real person here. But um, they said they wanted to hear that. And that's why we've done the EPOP success story. So if you guys are interested in letting us know what you want to hear, extrapackofpeanuts.com slash survey. We'll be running that for about another week. And then we'll give away a $50 Amazon gift card. Rob and David, of course, you guys can join it as well and have a chance to win the $50 Amazon gift card. Although there may be cries of collusion then. <laughs> You're paying guests to come on your podcast now. So, Ram David, again, thanks so much. I will now be buying your dinner for coming on the podcast. So let's... I like that. that. Yeah, let's blow that $50 <laughs> budget a day. Um, so thank you guys for listening. Thanks for the support. Thanks for making us the top 100 podcast on iTunes, the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And until tomorrow, happy free travels. 